Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's our guest is Kevin Emosh from Pine Financial Group. Welcome, Kevin. Rama, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Glad. Thank you. A little bit about Kevin. Kevin is a successful real estate investor and private money lender. He earned his degree in finance after serving four years in the U.S. Army. After college, Kevin spent two years working with Wall Street as a mortgage bond analyst before leaving to work in real estate financing for investors full-time. He and his companies have closed on over 2,400 transactions as a buyer, seller, or private money lender. He has spent two decades as a real estate investor and 16 years in real estate lending. He is the author of The 45-Day Investor, a frequent speaker, and has been quoted in the, the Las Vegas Review Journal, the Denver Post, Yahoo Real Estate, Denver Business Journal, and Forbes. So with that, Kevin, you want to add anything to your background? Uh, I think that's great. I, that kind of tells me who, who I am. I mean, I'm a, I'm a real estate investor at heart. You know, I got into the private lending space because of my background in investing in real estate. And gosh, I just love this business. Awesome. Thank you very much. So you closed almost 2,400 transactions as a buyer, seller, or private money lender. Share me some lessons learned from closing that many transactions. Man, I could, we could have a, a two-day conversation on lessons learned. I mean, obviously, you learn more of your lessons from the mistakes you make than from the successes that you have. One of the biggest mistakes, Rama, that comes to my mind immediately as we're talking about this is, is properly setting your goals. And, and here we are recording this in January. I don't know when you're going to drop this, but we're recording it in January. And this is when people are thinking about their goals and how to how to plan for the year, right? And and I could tell you one of my goals was very measurable and that's important. And it was the amount of transactions in a year. But the problem with a goal like that is you start doing not great deals just to hit a goal that you set for yourself. So now I'm doing marginal real estate transactions to try to hit a goal and Gosh darn, that really hurt me in 2008 when I had a big giant portfolio and, and the market was crashing, coming in or on me or around me. Um, so biggest lesson I've learned is, you know, set good quality goals, not that make you look cool or that people will be impressed with, but will really improve your life. Got it. So would you share a few examples of what exactly measurable goals or quality goals means to you? You know, my business coach love this guy tells me all the time when we have our we set our goals for our team we do this once a quarter um so we have our big five year three year one year of course but it's hard for the human mind to stay focused on something that far out but we absolutely can stay focused on a 90-day goal so we do 90-day goals in our company and and he, my coach is always telling me you know you're, you have these four or five goals for each team member but how how do you know if they hit it or not? So you have to, they have to be very specific and something that you can measure. Not, I'm going to learn more about real estate investing this quarter. Uh, you can't measure that, right? But I'm going to read three books on real estate investing this quarter. That's something that you can measure. Got it, got it. So you, you started on Wall Street, then switched you towards real estate. So what do you share? What is the reason behind it? Uh, corporate America. <laughs> so I, w- I went into... Uh, 
I was going through a tough time in business. Business goes up and down, as most of us know. And I was going through a more challenging time. And cash flow is key. So I, I wanted to find something that would generate more cash flow. So back before I got into private lending, I went and worked for a company that was in the process of going public at the time. I worked in a downtown Denver office, but all of our clients were in New York. They were all Wall Street companies. In fact, not just New York, but big, big type banks. And we were analyzing the mortgage bonds for them. Very interesting timing to be a mortgage bond analyst because this was like 2005, six, seven, and which led right up to the crash, right? So I was analyzing subprime mortgage bonds. Give me a huge, that's a huge benefit for what I'm doing today. Um, I just couldn't do corporate America to answer your question. I, I, I need to work for myself. Awesome. Uh, share me a little bit more about your experience in mortgage bond side. So how exactly that works? What are the lessons uh, you learned from that and are you implementing right now? Yeah, I think this is going to help your audience the most is the amount of loss that comes from a foreclosure. So when we are, I've got a billion dollar, a couple billion dollar bond, but they're individual loans in the in the bond, right? So they package this up. And so we're looking at individual problem loans. And I can tell you, we're tracking defaults and losses and all of these things inside the bond. And the average loss on a foreclosure is around 50%. So these are big losses for banks when they go through a foreclosure process. They don't want that. So I think that I, one of the biggest lessons I learned was I can have a little bit of leverage when I'm negotiating with a bank on their REO or on uh, even a short sale or something prior to the foreclosure auction, um, because I know how bad it's going to hurt them if they don't negotiate with me. Yeah, got it. So now you're focusing on private mon money lending space, right? So share me that experience, how exactly that works and what is your primary focus markets or you know, areas in this space? Yeah, this is a great question, Raman. I'm glad you asked it. I'm, um, I know we have a short amount of time. We talked about that before we hit the record button, but I, I need to go back in time just a little bit. So when I was getting started in this business, I was in college, just fresh out of the U.S. Army. I didn't have good credit. I didn't have any credit, actually. I didn't have a ton of money. I was like 21 years old. And here I am buying one or two houses every single month. Um, and it's interesting because the only way you could accomplish that is by negotiating directly with the owners of properties and getting them to help you with the financing. So like owner carry type stuff. So here I am hitting the phones as I'm walking between classes, just trying to generate um, motivated sellers. But every time I got in front of a motivated seller from all these efforts, it was so fun for me to do that negotiation. Like, how can I help you solve your real estate problem and make a profit on the deal? And over and over and over, what I've started to notice is it all comes down to the financing, how you structure your offer, how you write your contract, how you take down the deal. All of it comes down to how you're going to fund the deal. So I just got really attracted to that side of things and I became a mortgage broker. Uh, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> That's a tough, tough business. I had no control. So what's the next step? Well, let's get control of my business. So I started bringing in private capital and paying great returns for my investors and loaning it out to real estate developers. And, and it kind of blew up from there. But now I have control in the underwriting. I can make common sense, good, you know, good sound decisions. Um, I could service the loan and, and I could really make a difference in my investors and my uh, real estate investor borrower clients' lives. Got it. There are a couple of questions. So what is your criteria uh, from underwriting point of view? 
So why you selected development, you know, real estate development space instead of that? There are value add deals, there are development deals, right? So why you pick development deals? We always do value add. So if it's a development or a fix and flip or a commercial value add, like a re reposition or a stabilization, um, we we finance we focus our financing on the completed value. What is the project going to be once it's all complete? Now we might hold the money into our trust account or an escrow account and release it in draws like a construction lender would to make sure we get to that value. But we understand that we could stay safe looking at a completed or stabilized value of an asset. The reason we're focusing on that is because that's what the investors are focusing on. That's what my client is looking for. So if I'm going to help them, I have to provide them a tool that they could be successful with. Now, I don't, I don't like dealing with owner occupants because one, there's a ton of regulation around it, but two, they're, they care about what color the wall is. Now, real estate investors look at the numbers and that's, that's, that's where my passion is. Got it. Got it. Sure. And, uh, uh, what, what is typical timeline for your, you know, uh, your projects? Well, yeah, that's going to really depend. So I know you do a lot of multifamily stuff and that's that takes a long time, especially depending on the size of the of the complex, right? But if we're doing a little fix and flip and maybe it's a bathroom remodel or a kitchen remodel or both or whatever, you could be in and out of that in five months, right? But if we're looking at a, I just funded a big office complex. So I, that's going to be a two-year deal at least, before it could be stabilized. So we're looking at a two-year with a one-year extension. So we gave our borrower three years on that one. But typically, we're looking at nine months to a year um, to get in and out of a project. Got it. What is your typical rates? Uh, what, what is your typical rates? Yeah, we're staying pretty firm right now, even in the higher interest rate environment. Um, so we're two points origination on most of our loans. A point in origination is 1% of the loan amount in a fee and 12% interest. And we're working really hard around how to get that down. Uh, but in the current environment, it's, it's just tough. You know, a lot of our competitors are rising rates and we we're staying firm. Got it. So what is your minimum lending limit and maximum lending limit? So we don't have a minimum, which might sound bizarre, but we do a ton of business up in Milwaukee and those loans are pretty small. Um, we do have a minimum fee of two grand. So if you're if it's really small loans, we might charge a fixed fee instead of two points. Uh, maximum right now, we're capping it at four million. The reason we're doing that is so that we can stay diversified. Got it. Got it. And would you share some challenging experiences from, you know, downside of, you know, like private lending space? So and I knew this going in, but I still made the mistake. Um, land, land does not produce cash flow. So the development business can be tough if you get caught in a market shift because you can't rent it out, right? You have to improve it to get your money back out of it. Um, so I, I developed a, an 80 acre parcel in Colorado. It took me like five years to get through it. Um, I'm still sitting on the board of the government, uh, quasi-government entity, the Metro District. Um, we have districts out here in Colorado. Um, but I still loaned on another another land deal out in Minnesota, and we ended up taking that one back. So here I am, uh, a real estate developer again, and I, I really prefer to be on the lending side. But look, we're at a really low loan to value. I know exactly the product that we're going to produce out there. So we're going to go develop this and get our money back. Got it. So how exactly you're protecting uh, your investors and yourself you know, from downside? So we, this isn't a big surprise. So where I was going with this is we saw this coming. So we start tightening up guidelines and we're, we're meeting once a month to review our guidelines, review our portfolio, and we're tweaking it and making it uh, making sure that our portfolio is as strong as it possibly can going into the recession. With that said, 
we're also being very diligent with our loan servicing. So we actually move to once a week default calls. So any borrower that did not make their payment or hasn't made their payment, we look at that loan and we talk about that loan every single week. Got it. So what's your take on current market uh, situation like high interest rate, high inflation? How exactly that is impacting your underwriting guidelines? You know. Yeah. So like I mentioned, we're tightening guidelines. So one of the things we did was lower our loan, um, our, our maximum loan amount. So we we brought that down to four million because we want to make sure that we're extremely diversified. So that capping alone helps helps keep us diversified. Um, but we're we're changing things like increasing credit score requirement a tad. We are absolutely being firm on our liquidity requirements. Liquidity, it's your reserves, right? That's how you stay safe. So we're making sure our clients have enough reserves going into a project that if there's a hiccup, they can get through it okay. We want we're looking at population limits, for example. But there's a whole there's a whole list of, of guidelines that we're talking about every month, um, just to make sure we're being really safe. Got it. So from markets point of view, which markets are you focusing, Kevin? Uh, yeah. So on the residential side, which is really our focus, we're about eighty percent residential, twenty percent commercial. Um, we're in four markets: Colorado, of course, because we're located here. We've been doing business in Minnesota since 2010, so we're we're highly focused in uh, really the Twin Cities area. Uh, we're up in Milwaukee, and then we're starting to get, uh, get some traction out in Washington D.C. So why these four markets? I understand uh, you are local local market, but why about Minnesota, or Wisconsin, and uh, you know, yeah. DC? Fantastic question. I get that one a lot. So my former wife's family was from Minnesota. And when I started when I started the Minnesota branch, what I wanted was somebody on the ground that I could trust. You know, in 2008, there was a lot of appraisers doing inspections for hard money lenders that were, were inspecting a different property. They were part of like a Ponzi or some kind of uh, fraud scheme. So I wanted to protect myself from fraud. So I wanted somebody I could trust to do the, do the property inspections. And it just blew up. I mean, we just we started doing really, really well. There's not a ton of competition out there, and and it's it's going to be hard for them to come in and compete with us because we are we have such a foothold. Um, Wisconsin's right next door, you know, and and so that was an easy move from Minnesota over to Wisconsin, and then DC. That's an interesting story. So we had a hedge fund backing us when we went into DC uh, about seven years ago, and they had decided to pull out of the market, so we pulled out of the market. Yeah, because we were using all of their funds. Now we're big enough. We have the resources as we just were looking at markets to expand in. DC just made sense because we had already been in that market. We already had established relationships. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So would you share any of your best experience so far? Any investing or lending point of view? Gosh, the best experience so far? I mean, there's just so many. I could This business, I'll tell you, this will change your life. If if your viewers are already doing it, um, they know that. If they're, or your listeners, if they're not doing it, they, they can find that out. If if you put your head down and you decide that you want to grind and make this your career, you will make a lot of money. Um, so uh, to answer your question specifically, I just love when when I go to a meeting or I meet with somebody and they come give me a big hug and say, thank you for changing my life. You know, my investors are retiring because of what I've been able to create for them. So that's really that's really what it's about. Got it. So would you also share any challenging experience? Yeah, I mean, the, the Minnesota development is a good example. But when it, when you have a default, I mean, we have a team now that really helps us get through these. But anytime we have a bar where they get themselves into trouble, that's not a fun experience. One, they're hurting, which I don't want to see. I want everyone to be successful. And two, now I have a problem that I have to deal with. Their problem became my problem. So now we're, we're working our way through those issues. 
hey, that's all part of the business, but that's that's the tough part. Got it. So any personal habits that are uh, help you to be successful? Yeah, there's a lot of habits. So I'm a big believer in training your subconscious. So I I really like to meditate. I really like to read. So I have a morning routine. I get up, I work out, I grab my cup of coffee, I grab a book. I do this every single morning. Um, I think having a, a morning routine creates an unfair advantage because you, you're going to be better than your competitor. A lot of people don't do that. And when you get up, what's the very first thing you do? Do you, do you make your bed? Do you... I mean, whatever the routine is, as long as you're consistent with it, you'll you'll be successful, I think. Awesome. Cool. So any personal learning or any one decision that you took that impacted your life positively? So I don't know if this is a personal learning, but I will tell you that this will impact your life and impacted mine for sure. And it's just really focusing on how to overcome fear. You know, fear is what will stop you from your success. And everybody has it. So the most successful people in the world had had to get over some failures and some fear also. So it's, there's no difference between someone that's not successful and them being successful other than they were willing to, to fail. So I think just trying to figure out how to get your mind to be okay with failure is, is really the best lesson. Got it. Got it. Any books that impacted your life since you're a good reader? Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad is on the top of the list. So it's uh, Think and Grow Rich. Um, now, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm operating a company now, I'm not in the day to day as much. It's really the business and leadership focused books. So huge advocate of traction. Um, I love the E-Myth Revisited. So, but yeah, those, I guess those would be the top four. Awesome books. Yeah, definitely. And how can listeners can connect with you, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, if you're, it's interesting, we're starting talking about the economy a little bit here and how it's impacting real estate investors. I wrote a report about comparing 1990 crash to today's, what we think might be a crash and the comparisons because look, 2008, we could throw out the window. It's nothing like 2008, but it is somewhat similar to 1990 with the high inflation and the high interest rates. So I compared those two to help investors understand what we're going through right now. They can get that, that report for free. It's just, uh, the pinereport.com. Um, so that would be a great way. Otherwise, it's just pinefinancialgroup.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your uh, your journey on private lending, best practices, and you know your best and challenging experience. Also, some personal side also. Thank you very much. Rama, you're awesome. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Ramakrishna Chuntu. We'll see you next time.